an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II, we now say, believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and uh, we've got Bob Savage here with us as well. Shalom, aloha, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Feeling any better today, Bob? I I feel fine. I felt fine for the last week. It's just the the voice hasn't been good. Yeah, yeah, your voice actually sounds a lot better today, so that must be uh, on the mend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Awesome. Um, Can't so, say the same thing about Bloomberg's campaign these days, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. And in fact, today being White House Wednesday, um, I don't have a presidential candidate to interview, but I did think that we should discuss Super Tuesday and specifically um, what this looks like for the Democrats. Uh, and, and as you alluded, uh, Bloomberg is, uh, you know, not, probably not feeling so great. Um, but let me let me first tell you guys what Super Tuesday is, because I, I ran into a bunch of people who are like, what is this Super Tuesday thing? Does it happen the same time every year? Kind of what does this huh. mean? There's there's like a lot of media centered around it. How many um, shopping days left till Super Tuesday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Special discounts at the store. What What is Super Tuesday? Um, so in in short, Super Tuesday is the primary day for the presidential election that has the most states holding primaries that day. So I know that maybe sounds a little confusing, but essentially um, it's usually in February or March. And the reason it's not consistent is because every state's board of elections determines their election days. So I I know some people think, wait, we have national elections. So like it, it would be the same day, the same time, everything. Um, that's not actually the case. Some states have primaries, some have caucuses, and they're not necessarily on the same dates. So Super Tuesday is the date that the most states share for the primary. So just just kind of a a little bit of background there. Um, So why is it so important? Because after Super Tuesday, um, a lot of the delegates are allocated to candidates. And um, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the Electoral College, but I'll, I'll bring you guys up to speed or, or kind of refresh you guys on, on what this means, this whole business of, of delegates. Um, when you vote in a primary, you're not actually voting for that candidate. You're actually voting for delegates to go to the national convention on behalf of that candidate. So... Um, We'll just take some of the Democrat candidates, you know, Joe Biden, Mike Bloomberg. Um, who's that other guy with the crazy hair? Bernie Sanders, that guy. Um, he's you know, toned that down, by the way. He, he, much less of a bozo. He has, yeah. No, much less of a bozo really effect. Yep. Yeah, no, he, he really has cleaned up. Um, and I think part of that is he knows that 
to be taken maybe a little bit more seriously, he he had to kind of look a little more professional. Well, he wants to be taken seriously. I think he needs to drop the ridiculous uh, communist bumper sticker phraseology and, uh, you know, and and, and, uh, respect American values as opposed to uh, totalitarian ones. But, uh, you know, uh, that's just me. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I not only do I agree with that. I think we we saw that in the primary results, right? Um, so what what happens is the candidates to get on the ballot for the primary, they actually submit a list of delegates, and when you go to your primary ballot in New York State and you vote for whomever the candidate is, you know, if you're a Democrat, one of the many Democrats who are on the ballot. Um, if you're a Republican, chances are in New York there is going to be a Republican primary. I'm not 100% sure. I know other states did. Um, Bill Weld, I think, is the only person primarying Trump right now. Um, I should know better. There's just not much media around it. Um, do you know if, if anybody else is primarying Trump besides No, uh, I think Weld? Uh, Weld is it, and I think he's got one delegate. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that you're you're probably right on that. I'll look it up uh, during the break to see if we missed anybody. Um, so if so, if you're a Republican um, and you go to vote in the primary, you'll see you know Donald Trump's name, Bill Weld's name, and when you cast your vote for one of those candidates, you're not actually casting it for the candidate. You're casting it for a slate of delegates that is going to go to the Republican convention to then vote for who the presidential nominee will be. The uh, prim- primary in New York has been canceled, is it not? I, I, I think they just gave all the delegates just to Trump. Oh, maybe. I'm I'm not sure. I'll, so I'll check that. It does have, like, different rules. I think that's right. I, I think there's there's no GOP, you know, primary in New York State. There you go. So it only applies to you then um, if, if you're a Democrat. Um, I don't know if the conservative party is going to have one. I don't think so. And if you're a registered libertarian, there's a possibility. Um, but Board of Elections kind of pulled a little interesting stunt this last week and possibly took a bunch of the libertarian candidates off the presidential primary ballot, leaving only one of them. Um, I know it's going to court this week, so we'll know a little bit more. But essentially, they said... Um, that the delegates list that the candidates submitted wasn't received by the date that was required. It was postmarked by the date required. Um, so there's a question of does it actually have to be in their hands or does it have to be postmarked by that date? That's what I believe is going to be determined in court. So yeah, maybe Politico, primary, maybe not. Yeah, Politico is reporting uh, New York cancels Republican presidential primary. Nobody uh, besides Trump qualified to appear on the ballot. Interesting. So yeah, primaries so are. It was the same thing. Yeah, primaries held only if multiple candidates qualify. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't have a primary of um, just one person. There is this thing in New York called opportunity to ballot, where you could file to still have a primary, and it would be one person's name on the ballot in a space for a write-in. Um, I don't know if that works for presidential, and I also think that you'd have like write-in campaigns like almost never are successful and trying to run a presidential write-in campaign would be, I don't want to say impossible, but man, the closest thing you could get to impossible, that would be a presidential write-in campaign. So, 
Um, so so that's that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. We are going to talk about um, the this the results of Super Tuesday. Um, I don't know if I told you guys when Super Tuesday came about. I just kind of told you guys, um, you know, what it is. But uh, Super Tuesday actually came about in 1976. Just like journalists in the media just started calling it Super Tuesday. And uh, there's no official um, title, like nationally, Super Tuesday. It's not like a holiday or a recognized day or anything like that. Um, it's literally what the media called it and it just kind of picked up and people generally call it that, um, very similar to when we talked about in the previous episode, how, uh, president's day isn't actually a real holiday. It's Washington's birthday. Um, but media outlets called it president's day so they could run sales and do retail things and specials. And it just kind of caught on and schools and businesses and the general population calls that holiday President's Day when it's really uh, George Washington's birthday. Isn't it kind of an amalgam of Lincoln's and Washington's birthday? Yeah. Lincoln's yeah. is the 12th and Washington's the 22nd, so they kind of picked an arbitrary in-between date. Yes, yes. That is 100% what happened. Um, I want to say that was like 1968. Or something like that they were like hey you know it'd be great um let's let's move all these holidays to mondays let's make long weekends and let's kind of bundle some of these together think of the mattress and car sales we can have yeah think of that yeah it'll be great all right guys we're gonna take our first break of the hour when we come back we're gonna talk about what the results from yesterday mean for the presidential race this year we'll be back in a moment on radio for new york You're listening to Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. And uh, today's White House Wednesday. So we're talking national issues. We are talking about uh, presidential primaries. And Bob was telling me over the break that there was a guy who was constitutionally president for a day. Yep. Just, Just imagine, Andrew, what would you do if you could be president for one day? What what would be the first thing that you would do? First thing I would do, uh, oh man, I, I would make a list of things to get rid of, like the NFA, um, probably the war on drugs, uh, and, and and suggest we get rid of uh, federal income tax or something like that. Those, just, those are the first few I could think of. Do anything about the pineapple on pizza or anything like that? No, you know what? I I am one of those people that actually really enjoys pineapple on I pineapple. I love pizza. pineapple on pizza. But anyway, uh, we we digress here. Yes, somebody actually was president for a day, and it happened this week. 171 years ago. Uh, You have to dig this out of the history books, but it is true. Uh, And this happened just constitutionally, uh, but it did happen. The 11th president was James K. Polk. Uh, The 12th was uh, David Rice Acheson. What? And number 13 was Zachary Taylor. David Rice who, you ask? All right. Well, official records show Zachary Taylor is President 12, not 13. True story. David Rice Acheson from Frogtown, Kentucky, appointed to the U.S. Senate to replace a senator who died. He stayed for 12 years from 1843 to 1855, during which this happened. President 11, James Polk, was scheduled to step down from office at noon on Sunday, March 4th, 1849. But President-elect Zachary Taylor 
was a religious man, and he refused to be sworn in on the Sabbath, so he insisted on waiting until the following day. So who would serve as president for 24 hours? Normally, the vice president, right? But VP George Dallas's term would have expired along with Polk's if he hadn't already resigned as president of the Senate on Friday, March 2nd. The House of Representatives was dismissed, so there was no speaker. Next in line, recently re-elected President Pro Tem of the Senate, David Rice Atchison, who technically became president for 24 hours, although he was never sworn in. When asked what he did on that day, he said, I went to bed. Uh, there have been two or three busy nights finishing up the work of the Senate, and I slept most of that Sunday. Talk about uh, opportunities missed, right? Yeah, yeah, look at that. So uh, president for a day and slept through most of it. And there slept you go. through most of it. So I wonder what the audience would, if there's anybody out there listening, what they do. If, if you're president for a day, what, what, would be, what would be on your short list? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you guys are uh, listening on air, feel free to call in 585-346-3000. That's 585-346-3000. Or if you're listening on the live stream on YouTube or Twitter, you know, type in Andrew C. Hollister, click on the live stream, post your comments. If you were president for 24 hours, uh, what's your short list? What would you get done? Um, or, or, you know, I bet you most people who served as president uh, so would probably say, yeah, you know, sleeping sounds like a great idea. I, I, I wish I had done that. But uh, I think all yeah. the candidates out there, they're all saying, on day one, here's what I do. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and this guy, on day one, he took a nap. He slept. For him. Yeah, right. oh, awesome. Um, so we're, we're talking White House Wednesday. We're talking national politics. We're talking the presidential race. Yesterday was Super Tuesday. Um, you know, I saw somebody here in the live stream asked if there is a Super Thursday. I'm not aware of a Super Thursday. I've, I've heard of Thirsty Thursday, but not Super Thursday. Well, according to Joe Biden, there's a Super Thursday. Is there? Oh, yeah, is, is, was, so uh, is that something I missed? Is that? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Uh, again? I think it was Monday. He, he was at some rally. He said that tomorrow is Super Thursday. Oh. And the people behind him are all like cracking up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got to wonder how many mistakes are, are made on purpose versus how many mistakes are, are truly just mistakes at this point? You, you know, like, are they all mistakes? Are you just trying to, like, get some entertainment value out of it? I, I don't even know. Oh, I think with Biden, I think they're, I think they're real. They're real? Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't think, I don't think they're staged. Yeah, could, could be. I know that, um, it, you know, when you, you look at some campaigns, some things are purposely done wrong. But, yeah, I, I think in general I, I agree with you. I don't think he's trying to be funny. I think he's just slipping up. Oh. Um, but that, that brings a question. So Super Tuesday, um, who won? Obviously, if you're looking at the Republican side, Trump won uh, pretty clean across the board. Um, somebody said that there was a delegate for uh, for um, Bill Weld. You know, I, I didn't get a chance to look at that. Um, in terms of Democrats, Biden. Biden won um, the majority, but I, I believe Bernie still holds the most, even after the Biden win yesterday. Does that sound right to you? The same. Uh, I think Biden's ahead in delegates, uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, Bernie's still definitely in the hunt. No question about it. Yeah, yeah, there, there's still time yet. Um, and uh, Garrett also mentioned that, hey, uh, don't don't forget, like, libertarians had some uh had had some primaries and uh jacob hornberger who was actually on the show maybe 
four weeks ago, I think you can you can look up his interview. Um, he he won all of the all three Super Tuesday Libertarian primaries. So uh, good for him. It was actually a really good and refreshing interview. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to him and and some of his thoughts, um, it, it was actually pretty good. All right. So here's the delegate count. Uh, 984 delegates are declared. 1991. Uh, needed to win the nomination. Looks like Biden's got 462. Uh, Bernie's got 393. Elizabeth Warren's got 51. Michael Bloomberg's got 44. Buttigieg is 26. Klobuchar, 7. Tulsi Gabbard, 1. Andrew Yang, everybody else, 0. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, 462, 393, then Elizabeth Warren, 51. Uh, I think she is uh, toast. Yeah, and she hasn't dropped out yet, right? She's she's, she's uh, rea- clinging, reassessing, reassessing. There you go. Yeah, and Bloomberg did drop out. For those who maybe didn't see the uh, headlines, he dropped out. He endorsed Biden, which means more than likely his delegates um, will will switch over their committal to to Biden. I, I think they can do that, right? Or they can only do that if nobody makes it halfway. I don't know. Sure. I don't know what the rule yeah, is. Sure. I don't know how they do things. I, I think basically they make it up. Anything that it takes to make sure Bernie doesn't get the nomination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, we're going to talk about that later during the show, but I do want to hit on one point uh, that came up, which is Tulsi Gabbard has one delegate, and that actually poses a problem for the Democrats right now. The reason that poses a problem is because by having one delegate, even though it's only one, and you need <laughs> 1,991 delegates to, uh, you know, to get the nomination, she currently qualifies to debate. And so there's there's actually a lot of talk around this um, as to whether or not she's going to be allowed to debate, or whether or not they're going to change the rules. And, and exclude her from the debates because I don't know if you've seen what she's been doing. She hasn't been in the debates, but she is out doing live streams and meeting with voters like all day, every day. Like her, her thing is like very, very active. Um, you wouldn't know it based on the media coverage. So it would be pretty interesting to see. Um, her campaign looks like it is still moving forward and it doesn't look like they're slowing down any um, unless she announces sometime soon that she's stepping out, um, there's going to be a determination that's going to have to be made. Do they change the rules again uh, to exclude her from the debates, or do they allow her to show up? Yeah, I mean, it, and you have to wonder what what the purpose of that would be, uh, one. And two, what's the purpose of Elizabeth Warren being on the stage at this juncture? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, in this situation, the purpose would be um, to continue to push the other candidates in a specific direction. So I know for Tulsi, like what's really important to her is her anti-war message, you know, and and pushing, you know, in that direction, pushing against wars. Um, so I think if she shows up to the debates, if they don't change the rules, and she shows up, like she's going to use that opportunity to put forward questions that she thinks are relevant to the debate stage that maybe aren't being addressed, that she thinks the other candidates are bad on, and forcing them to discuss those issues live on national television, especially if they don't want to talk about those issues. And for Elizabeth Warren, I have no idea. Right, exactly. I mean, maybe it's the same thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. The last debate I saw 
with Elizabeth Warren in it, and I don't know that it was the most recent one. Um, a lot of what she was saying had nothing to do with policy. It wasn't policy-driven at all. Um, it was attacks on Bloomberg, pretty much. Yeah, just mostly attacks on Bloomberg. So if Bloomberg has dropped out, you got to wonder, okay, where is she going to go next? Is she just going to stay there to kind of gang up on the next person? Is she going to stay there to um, prop up Biden? Or or is she just going to drop out? I don't know. Well, as we say, uh, as of the, the airtime today when we went on the air, she was, quote, reassessing, unquote. And we all know what that's code for. That yeah, means yeah. I, I'm looking for a face-saving way to ease over towards the exit. Yeah, and I, I think you'll see probably a statement similar to what lovely Warren Mayor of Rochester made today, which was, uh, you know, we need to unite together as a party and support whoever can beat Trump because that's that's really been the message uh, from the majority of the Democrats, if not all of them, is this this election season's about beating Trump? It's, right, they're not focused on policy. That's that's their po- that's the that that is that's the issue. We got to beat Trump, and to what end? I mean, any thinking person would go. It's amazing to me that the Democrats, who were all poised and primed and ready to just you know throw Joe Biden on the ash heap of history, ten days ago, all of a sudden they're all rallying to him. Yeah, and and supporting him, and he's the guy, he's the greatest, we need him. Yeah, no, totally. It's it's all party tribalism, absolutely. All right, guys, we're going to take a break here on Radio Free New York. We'll be back in a moment. Radio Free New York. All right, welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. It's White House Wednesday. We're talking about Super Tuesday. We're talking about uh, what all that means, what the presidential race might look like. Um, And before we went to break, we were talking about how Tulsi Gabbard actually has one delegate, which means they might have to let her debate according to the uh, current rules, and they probably don't want that so if they don't want that they're going to have to change their rules which uh the democratic party i don't think has a problem with doing i i think they will do that and uh if bernie catches up to biden and surpasses him you might see something like that happen if he doesn't get the uh the majority um one thing i did want to bring up though about this whole debate thing um, it, it's kind of highlighted by Tulsi Gang one delegate, but this has been going on for a long time, especially in New York State, where candidates don't get the opportunity to participate in debates, even if they're on the ballot. Um, and, and that's something that I think is, is important to bring up, something important to talk about. Um, I'm, of course, really sensitive to it because when I've ran campaigns in the past, um, the media would essentially ignore our candidacy, even if there was a small number of candidates. You know, you're talking four or five candidates total, um, and the media would only allow candidates uh, to debate uh, who are usually Republican or Democrat, and simply just ignored all the other candidates. We actually have this happening in Buffalo right now in a congressional race, and the media's like, well, the candidates probably don't meet our rules and requirements for the debate. And when the candidates say, okay, well, what are the requirements? We weren't told there were any. They say, uh, you know, 
we don't actually know what the requirements are. We just know you don't meet them. Um, so, so that I thought was worth mentioning and highlighting and talking about that the media has really made it so that the voters aren't allowed to be fully informed, which to be honest, if we talk about this, we know that the media isn't interested in informed voters. They're interested in advertising dollars and they're interested in their narrative and how they want the, uh, the story to be portrayed. And they don't want to allow people in who might change that perception. Um, so people being excluded from debates is not a new thing. It happens every election cycle. It's happening right now with a special election out in Buffalo Way in Western New York. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens with us. Is, is that the uh, 27th Congressional District? Is that... that is the 27th, yeah. yep, yep. And uh, I know Dwayne Whitmer's running, um, and of course they're currently suing him to try to get him off of the ballot so that they don't have to like worry about running against him. Um, I'll probably have an update on what that looks like next week after it goes to court and how it's ruled. But once again, I wanted to make sure that we talk about that because it's something that if nobody on the media is talking about it, uh, kind of nobody's talking about it. So those are the things I like to just you know bring up, make sure people are aware that when you when you go to the ballot, you might be surprised. You might see names on your ballot that you've never heard of before. And if you're sitting there questioning, like, why didn't I know about this candidate? Were they not out there working hard? Did they not reach me? Why didn't they attend the debates? Chances are pretty good the media excluded them from the debates. They were blocked. Or, or the party ex- excluded them. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true, too. And and they'll come up with, like, really arbitrary values to try to cut out the people they don't want you hearing from. So they'll go and say, okay, like, this person's platform's pretty good. None of us want to, like, adopt this platform because it would be bad for us, <laughs> you know? And so they'd sit there and go, okay, what can we do? Uh, hey, I raised $100,000. You raised $100,000. They only raised $50,000. There's no way they're going to hit $80,000 by the time the debate starts. So let's just say in order to be included in the debate, you have to raise $80,000. Because if you raise $79,000 or less, you're just not a serious candidate and nobody wants to hear your platform. Yeah, we call this the Bernie Sanders effect. It's kind of what happened in 2016 to Bernie at the Democratic Convention. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this has been going on for a very long time. It's not specific to presidential elections. It happens in local elections, congressional, district, you know, Senate, Assembly. Um, happens all the time in New York, all the way down to like city council races, all the way up to governorship. Um, happens very often. So just want to, you know, kind of shed some light on that, make sure I mention it. Now what I want to do is uh, give you guys a little bit of uh, some information about what we saw with Super Tuesday, because I think a lot of people thought Bernie was going to pull ahead, and that, that didn't happen, and I want to talk about why that didn't happen, because it's important for people to know, um, just in general, how our elections work, how voter turnout works, that sort of thing. Um, Bernie actually had a lot of support, a ton of support. I mean, we we saw it rallies. You saw support in the media. Um, you saw a lot of online support, probably well beyond what any of the other candidates had. Uh, but guess what happened? Not enough young voters turned out to vote for him. So that's a problem, <laughs> you know? If you can't transfer your energy and your base 
from getting off the internet and and he even had people showing up to rallies but they didn't show up to vote that's a serious issue now that could be people didn't know what the primary dates were and they just think it's going to be in november um which i've seen many times happen in new york state people not know about the primary or what's worse they show up to vote in the primary think they're done and they don't show up in november so like a big voter education gap um but also what was really interesting and i think worth pointing out was more young voters showed up to vote in the primaries um, this year than they did in 2016. so more young voters did show up however they showed up at a lower rate what does that mean um, that means older people showed up in more force basically they more of them percentage-wise showed up so more older voters also showed up at a much higher rate um, so why do i say all this I say it because what that tells us is although younger, more younger voters came out to vote, older voters were much more vote, motivated to vote than the younger voters were. It's interesting because Sanders has this huge following of young people. So I would think that they would be highly motivated to vote for him. Yeah, and that's, that's I think, why he lost. Because these, these young people who seem highly motivated um, – weren't motivated enough to go out and vote or it could be their first time voting and they didn't know the importance of a primary or or how that worked um or or any number of things but i, I think this is like a you know the understanding of translating positive energy into people showing up to vote i think is is a problem the sanders campaign has i think that that's like a huge problem and if they don't figure out how to address it, they are not going to be getting the nomination. And that was the, and you know, this is, seems to be a characteristic of this demographic because we've seen this before. We saw this uh, in uh, with uh, with Barack Obama, where they yeah. didn't they, they didn't show up to vote for Barack in the in the numbers that uh, that were expected. Yeah, and I I think that this is just um, you know I don't know if it's a generational thing. I don't know if it, I I kind of wonder if it's because everything else you can do in life, you can do on the Internet and you can do with your phone. So a call to action for 99 percent of what you do in life, everything from paying your water bill, paying your rent, paying your mortgage, your car payment, almost everything you can do without ever having to step out of your home. Um, very few things you need. I mean, a lot of people even work from home now. So like, and you can order food to your home, like groceries to your home. Oh, so yeah. the, you, you know, the only thing you really need to leave the house for is to put gas in your car. But if you're not leaving your house, you don't need gas in your car. Well, that, and that, that's also the trend. Uh, you know, in, you see this in sit down restaurants. Increasingly, these chain restaurants are shrinking the dining areas and they're increasing the waiting areas for people to come and pick up meals to go. Because, look, I mean, you can get the cinema experience at home now. You have a 4K giant 65-inch TV with surround sound, so you can get the cinema experience uh, right there, and you can you know bring in the food and just you know have dinner and a movie right there in the comfort of your own home, and not yeah. have to go anywhere. No, absolutely. And and the other thing that we see is like you don't have to go shopping anymore. I mean, you can get Amazon Second Day Prime delivery on almost anything, including clothes. You don't even have to clothes shop anymore. So I, I, I do wonder if 
if that is translating to younger people coming out um, at lower percentages because they have to physically be there. All right, guys, we're going to take our last break of the hour. We will be back in a moment on Radio Free New York. Radio Free New York. All right, we are back here on Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We're talking about Super Tuesday results, what that means, kind of some of the stuff centered around there. And uh, one thing that I think is worth pointing out is it appears that money doesn't buy these elections. And uh, yeah, how about you know, that? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that I thought was interesting. I mean, you look at Bloomberg and what he spent and uh, Trump, of course, tweeted out calling uh, Bloomberg the biggest loser, um, which, <laughs> you know, well, in, in typical you, Trump form. Yeah. 500 million bucks. Uh, yeah. How long was Bloomberg in a month? Oh, it was three months, but but it is a very short time for sure. So he spent a lot in a very short period of time. Um, and and a lot of people pointed to his ad buys and his spend as his his way of trying to buy the process, buy the win. Um, and we always talk about how money in politics um, does make a difference. But in this situation, it didn't make enough of a difference. And I would say that his money probably bought his way into the debates, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because he entered so late um, or, or what. I mean, what, what do you think, Bob? Why, why do you think um, – do you think it's just the voters didn't resonate with his message? I mean, when you look at the other candidates, it's kind of – you know, questionable, I guess. Well, I think he's an intensely dislikable guy. Uh, you know, he's, he, he, there's no charisma there. He doesn't. He doesn't have a doesn't radiate a positive message. It's he, he has kind of a punitive, authoritarian kind of uh, demeanor about him. I, 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 he's kind of got that Hillary disease. You know, unlikable, uh, unlikability. I, yeah. I, I, I think that's the the major factor. Yeah, and one of the things I I wondered if if it was a problem for him that many of the other candidates just painted him as the Trump of the democratic party. And they've spent the last four years saying Trump is evil. Trump is evil. Here's all the bad stuff about Trump. Hey, Bloomberg's Trump, you know, and, and I didn't know um, if that was part of the issue, to be honest, I didn't hear much about his platform either. Like I, I saw, you know, that he spent a lot of money on ads, but for what he spent, I didn't see a lot of content. Well, here's the thing. You've got a party, the Democrat Party, and essentially their message to the electorate is envy and greed. It's all about how you're not getting what you want out of life because of rich people, because of, you know, billionaires, as uh, as Bernie Sanders would say. So how do you then do you turn around and market Michael Bloomberg to the to, to the electorate? That's a tough sell. Yeah, yeah. Although I, I mean, it's it, it is funny because right, the top runners for the Democratic primary are all extremely wealthy individuals who are definitely one percenters. Um, I, I don't know. I, is there anybody on the stage who wasn't? <laughs> you know, so for the party who who is pushing really hard at the enemy being old white men who are rich. Uh, they seem to be running and electing a lot of rich old white guys. Right, exactly. There's a, a cognitive dissonance going on there. It's, and then, you know, I, even Bernie Sanders, 
I mean, how it's been pointed out repeatedly. How many people have got three houses? Yeah. And three big, nice mansion-esque houses too. Yeah. Not, uh, not you know, fifteen thousand dollar houses in the in the city. Yeah, he, he tried to characterize one of them as a summer camp until uh, somebody published some pictures of it. Yeah. You, you know, I, I do see at least one positive thing out of the results, though. Um, and, and this could be me just, like, prying and grasping and stuff. Um, but I think a positive is, you know, people in the Democratic Party did not choose socialism, at least not yet, right? You know, um, and and I I think though that that there's another thing for us to look at and another thing to talk about that's that's not positive, and and that is what is winning these elections, and I think especially when it comes down to delegate choices, if somebody doesn't have the majority, um, I think the answer is going to be political promises, and I I think that you could even make that argument now because you see candidates dropping out of the race pledging their support to Biden, telling their supporters, go rally behind Biden. Um, and, and what I think we're seeing is backdoor deals being made. Hey, endorse me. You're going to get something for it. And I, I think that what we're seeing is that that's what's going to win this election. Yeah, I wonder what the, what the, what the price of admission was uh, to persuade uh, some of these candidates to drop out when they did. Yeah. You know, what, what, were they, what were they promised by the party? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you saw um, you saw what Biden said about Beto the other day, which is, uh, you know, Beto's going to be the run running his firearms policy and his Second Amendment policy. And oh, then, that's like, great. I love yeah. that. That's yep. bring it on. Yeah. So the guy who's like, yeah, we're coming for your AR-15s. We're going to come confiscate your guns. Biden is now promoting saying, hey, this is my guy. This is the guy who's going to be handling Second Amendment policy for me. Um, that, that to me, I mean, that kind of seems like there was a political favor going on there. You know, Trump made an offhand comment in, you know, uh, characteristic Trump style at one of his rallies to the effect that, you know, they're going to, Joe Biden is going to be in a home somewhere and the policy, the, the presidency and his administration is going to be run by these left wing zealots. You know, there's a lot to that. I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know about literally Joe Biden being in a home, but I mean figuratively, he very well could be. I mean, he could. And when it comes to policy, I have not heard Joe Biden enunciate one single cogent, uh, identifiable, uh, you know, policy piece that you could say this is what he stands for. Nobody knows what Joe Biden stands for other than defeating Trump. So I, I think there's a, I think there's a lot to what Trump says. I think he could be sidelined, and then the policy wonks and his administration will run things. Yeah, and I, I think for Democrat voters too. And I, I I'm projecting my assumptions here because I'm not a Democrat, and so clearly I'm not a Democrat voter. Um, but I am somebody who's an independent, and I try to look at things um, fairly and evenly across the board. And what I think the appeal is to many Democrats who, you're right, I mean, what is his policy? He hasn't articulated it well and clear at all. Um, I, I think a lot of Democratic voters are just nostalgic about he was Obama's vice president. And they, they look at Joe Biden, they think Obama, and I, I think that's why he's rising to the top. And I think that they probably project his vice presidency 
as experience, which technically is true, right? We could we could debate whether or not it was good experience mm, yeah. and whether or not, you know. Two-edged sword um, there. No question yeah. about it. I mean, he's, he's there for, what, a generation uh, in, in, uh, in Congress and in the Senate. And what did he ever accomplish? Yeah. Yeah. So, so exactly. The question is like, is it good experience? Is it bad experience? But, you know, when I talk to Democrat voters, especially those who are terribly opposed to term limits, I mean, they want to fight it tooth and nail. They always kind of come back to the same argument that, well, people, we need people that have really good experience who, who know the job and understand how the system works and have been in it for a long time. So I think for those voters who are like, no, we need somebody with experience and understand the system. Never mind how bad, corrupt, and awful the system is, you know. But those people that feel that way, I think, do gravitate to Biden because they look at him as being there for a long time with experience in the vice presidency. Yeah, well, I mean, so you're in Biden's position. You're not necessarily Biden, but you're in his position. You've got years and years and years you've put in, and your argument is that things are totally screwed up. So we, so what we have to have is change, and so I mean that that's a that's a dangerous line of reasoning to follow, because how did how did we get where we are? Yeah, no, I agree, and I I think this could be said about almost all candidates who run for presidential office, right? And even the candidates who are running for Congress again, um, many of these people have spent decades in control, decades whether as a part of Congress or some other executive position or maybe appointed positions or, or whatever. Um, and they're saying, yeah, things are broken. Things are bad. I'm going to fix them. And you sit there and you go, well, who, who's been running this thing right. the whole time when things are bad and we've spent too much and healthcare's crumbling and education's having trouble? Oh, you. So now somehow today that's going to be different. It's not going to be different. And we haven't even gotten into the influence peddling. And that's another ticking time bomb awaiting joe biden hunter biden and joe biden i mean we do have we do have a ukrainian investigation underway officially yeah yeah how ironic would that be if joe biden actually became president and then got impeached over that i mean that that would just be irony uh to i don't even know what magnitude all right guys you're listening to radio free new york Thank you for joining me. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow.